I want to preach to you this morning about a topic that is it's so big that I'm deeply humbled by the very fact that I get to talk about it. I want to talk to you about the cross. The cross. July 4th weekend, July 4th holiday is an emphasis on liberty. And there's no greater sign in all the Bible about liberty than the cross. That's a strange thing. The cross was never meant to be a sign of liberty. But it has become a sign of liberty. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, if you take your Bibles, if you would. I almost teared up a little bit when I sing that last song we sang. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. How could this symbol, the cross, be so different to two groups of people? How could these reactions be so opposite each other? To the one group, now it's not just the cross, it's the preaching of the cross. Because they wouldn't know about the cross and wouldn't know about Jesus and the cross without the preaching of the cross. And since Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, he commissioned his last commission to us, that were born again believers on earth from there to here, has been going to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our commission. That's our prime directive. That is why we eat and take up space, why we occupy. It's not to gain a few certificates in a bank or to own a certain amount of property which you really don't own, that you think you own, but you don't, at any time the government can come in and possess it. You thought you had the right to sing. I mean, a right to sing. You thought you had it. But the dear folks of California have lost it. A lot of things that we thought or took for granted can be gone in just a matter of one executive order. The preaching of the cross, the preaching of the gospel, is the most necessary function, and it's why there is such a thing as a local church. I'm going to say this again. I've said it hundreds of times and probably not enough. You need to be a part of a Bible-believing Bible-obeying local body of believers called an assembly or a church. Because it's Jesus' intention to use the local church as a springboard for his message, the cross. It was, it's, 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 the local church is why there's such a thing as missionaries. 
missions. It's a local church that gets behind those men and women that go. It's the local church that prays for them. I'm not saying individuals don't do some of that, but not in, not in a fraction of the, of the volume and the power that a local body of believers can do it. The organized, visible, local church. You need to be right with it. You hear what I said? You need to be right with it. Obviously, the local church needs to be biblical, Bible-based, and obedient to the Word of God. But if it is, you need to just go by every offense, every resistance, and be part of that local church and put both hands on the plow and never, never look back. Don't even look back. Don't get offended away from it. Don't get offended out of it. Don't you let anything stop you. Spend your life helping the local church fulfill the great commission of going to the world and preach a gospel, which is the preaching of the cross, to every creature. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. Because without the preaching of the cross, there can be no salvation. There can be no reception. If you don't know something, you can't receive it. You've got to know about it first. They have to know that Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day, that he paid for all of their sins in, in the sight of God, that he reconciled them to a living God, that he offers eternal salvation as a free gift if you will simply repent and believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It comes as a gift. Can't earn it, don't deserve it. Wow, the gospel. How can it get these reactions? One group hates it, thinks it's foolishness, mocks it. The other group dies for it. They think it's so important that they're willing to lay their lives down. It's the very power of God. One foolishness won the power of God. How can one object, one event, cause such opposite reactions? Now, you know, and most of you know enough history, that the cross primarily comes from Rome, the Roman Empire. They perfected it. They may not have invented it, but they perfected it as a tool of torture. It would often prolong a person's torture up to three days before they finally would expire. It was considered to be the most extreme form of death that man could imagine upon another man. It was used in the Roman Empire throughout the, throughout the world, that they conquered the world, as it were, as their symbol of disobedience to the law of Rome. How is it that God could take this this thing of ignominy, this thing of torture, of suffering, of shame, of pain and loss, of the worst kind of death, and cause a group of people to affectionately look at it, to give devotion to it. And if I may say, to have attraction to the cross. The cross is attractive to the born-again believer. 
I have people regularly say to me, why don't you have more crosses uh, put up at, at gospel? Well, if you look outside, we have a 14-foot by 7-foot cross that lit up all night long. We used to have a cross on the uh, McKinney Hall until the hurricane took it out. We have a cross at the top of a Christian flag there. We don't worship the actual object. That would be idolatry. But we worship what it represents. The suffering of the sacred substitute for your sin and mine, Jesus Christ, who came so that we may have life and have life more abundant. And that we could be saved from answering for our own sins. Nobody in this room or in the sound of my voice wants to answer for their own sin. You do not want to stand before God. And when I say God, I mean Jesus Christ, because that's who you're going to stand for. Everybody, according to the Bible, is going to stand before Jesus Christ. It's apropos that that be so. Because he's the one who died for all of mankind that they could have eternal life. He's the one that offers it as a free gift. And he'll be the one that those who have rejected it and those who have thought the preaching of it is foolishness will someday have to stand before and, and, and try to explain to him why they did not believe the preached cross, the gospel. It's a symbol of life to the believer. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of redemption. It's a symbol of giving. It's a symbol of self-sacrifice, substitution, love, and glory. You say glory? Yeah. The Bible calls it the glory of the cross. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul, he gets into a, he, he comes to a crescendo in his teaching. In other words, he, 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 was, he was, when he was teaching, it wasn't dry material. It was, it was uh, from the very fire of the Holy Spirit of God was, was, was helping him as he penned those books. And he came to the last part of the book of Galatians with a crescendo, and he says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. There's no bigger impetus to stay away from the sin and wickedness of this world than the cross of Jesus Christ on which our Savior died. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I lived for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, it keeps me I'm crucified to the world. The world comes to me and says, participate in our, in our deals. Participate in our music. Participate in our, in, our, in our wild entertainment. Participate in the things that are against God. That divide. Don't worry about it. But the cross says, separate from it. Flee from it. Stay away from it. Because that's why those things are what drove Christ to the cross. How can all this be? Romans devised this heinous form of execution as the ultimate torturous method of death, slow and painful, 
Suffocation, by the way, is the way most people died. As they began to lose the strength to lift themselves up so they could breathe. Shameful, they were stripped naked publicly, humiliated and degraded. You say, does it, does it bother you to be... When I go to the hospital, you know what the, one of the worst things that going to the hospital is? That robe. How many say that, amen? You know what I do? I'm an old rebel. I bring my clothes. And I said, look, if you've got to cut these clothes off of me, cut them off of me. I'm not wearing that old thing. That rag you talk about? Well, I wear half like I leave my pants on. I always got my pants on. I got my, I brought a pair of blue jeans or a pair of pants, and, and I got that robe, you know, on there. They're, sometimes they want to put that robe so they can get it on and off of the monitors and all they put on there. Most of the time, though, I put a T-shirt on. I put my T-shirt over all that stuff. But you know what's worse than that? To me, is having them two girls come in and try to bathe me. You know what I tell them? Only two women have seen me naked, and that is my mother and my wife. And you're not going to be the third. And they'll say, well, we're, we got to bathe you now. We got to bathe you. And I say, well, somebody's got to bathe me, but it ain't going to be you. And, you know, I don't have a lot of time. I've been in the hospital. I haven't been very strong. But I said, I'm not very strong. You may be able to hold me down, but I'm going to fight all the way. It's the humiliation of being naked. The cross was bigger than just being nailed and, and being, you know, a, a scourge before that and having to carry your own method of death on your back. That was humiliating. It was about beating you down. It was about destroying you inside and out. It was about showing that you were a nothing, that you weren't worthy to live, that you were, you were, you were vulgar, that you, you'd be stripped in, in a very modest society which they lived. Jesus Christ was stripped publicly, put upon that old cross, hung up on a busy road. Calvary was right next to a busy road. That was the way the Romans wanted it to be. That's why people, as they passed by, the Bible says they commented. There were people going by there saying, oh, yeah, is that the, I heard that's the guy that was a miracle worker out of Galilee. Could he not save himself? He could save others, but himself he could not save. And if I may say, he would not save. The cross. It was supposed to be a place that was feared by all. When Christ himself transformed that symbol of death to a symbol of life and love. Nobody loved me like God loved me. Nobody loved you like God's loved you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not very lovable. Maybe you're just hard, maybe you're just a hard, cantankerous, somewhat repulsive, unlovable individual. Maybe you're as mean as a rattlesnake. Grouchy. But God loves you. He loves you enough to die on the cross for you. And he did it. You say, all people, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. I guess I'll just eat worms. You can go around this life sucking your thumb about that, or you can go and look at the cross and say, there's somebody, and that wasn't just anybody. It was God manifest in the flesh, loved me, and gave himself for me. And brother, if that's, and, and that being the truth, 
you got everything going for you, amen? It don't make any difference whether I like you or he likes you or they like you. It makes a difference whether God loves you. And God's proven his love. You want to know God's love? You look to Calvary. You look at the cross. You want to know what, how God feels about sin? You look at the cross. That's why it's such a heinous act of betrayal once a, once a person gets born from above to go back into the world. The very world is what nailed Jesus to the cross. What a, what a, what a despite to the spirit of grace it is that once you're born from above to go back into those things that you were saved from that Jesus died to keep you out of. If I may say to save you out of. For the end of those things is death. Is that not the Bible? So what did he do? He came to save you from death. That's good. Amen. That's good. He came to save me from death. Christ transformed the symbol. He made it attractive. Something to represent good beyond anything that ever was known. People come to me around December 25th. I have been given a hard time about this through the years. Oh, preacher. Preacher, December 25th was a pagan holiday to the God of whatever. And the, the, the Romans uh, set up. You know, who cares? Who cares? Jesus and Christianity conquered the 25th of December. We grabbed that date and we said, that's going to be the date that we celebrate the birth of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know when he was born, really. We know approximately, they think maybe 4 B.C. in our calendar, he was born somewhere 3, 4 B.C. I believe he died I believe he could have been born right around 1. He died, I'm pretty sure on this fact, 30, April 6, 32 A.D. But you may dispute that all you want. It's not in the Bible. You can dispute it all you want. He died somewhere around there. He was 33 years old. God has made this attractive. It represents something good. Churches put it up on their steeples. Women wear it around their neck. How can an insignificant man like Jesus of Nazareth, by the way, he wasn't of Nazareth, but he was known to be of Nazareth because that's where he moved. Born in Bethlehem, driven to Egypt, moved to Nazareth. Nazareth was one of them cities like, does anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a, that was a, a, a statement about that city. That's how, you want to live in a place like that? I want to say, does anything good come out of New York City? You, you people from New York City, don't be offended. But I'm going to tell you, New Yorkers are known for their rudeness among us, among, I say, us Southern people. I was born in Elkhart, Indiana. But I've been here so long, I is Southern. I moved out of Elkhart at 19 years old. I'm 68. You figure it out. But I can tell you what. I appreciate the Southern hospitality. I appreciate the Southern courtesy as opposed to the big city rudeness that you run into when people born in that kind of environment. I would like to live in a place that were rude to each other like that. You say, I was. <laughs> okay. Don't go back. Even Trump moved out of New York. Christ transformed his symbol. 
he was so insignificant. He was born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. I looked at it. I was on the Mount of Olives. You can see Bethlehem about five miles outside Jerusalem. He lived in an occupied country by, by Rome, which ruled over them. He was just a common carpenter's son, impoverished pretty much, subsistence living, making uh, just furniture for people and maybe building some things as people do, but fairly poor, uneducated by any, anybody's standards, unknown, no connections, politically incorrect, no influence, no social graces. Yet this man called Jesus affects the whole world for up to almost 2,000 years now. The cross stands out in world history since he was crucified on it. Carried around the necks of millions, worn on the clothing, put on the top of churches, displayed in pictures, at the head of tombstones. You go to a graveyard, a Christian graveyard, and you'll see tombstones with crosses from one end to the other. Found in every imaginable place, but it does not stop there. It does not stop just as a symbol. It's not just a symbol. The Bible says here, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. He caught the hearts. How many times the cross and the preaching of the cross has caught the hearts of young men and young women to give their life for it? It caught my heart. At 18 years old, the cross so, so captured me that I was willing to lay down any potential, and I had all kinds of plans. I had my future set up for me. I was going to be in the real estate, both in Indiana and Michigan. Uh, it was all set up. My parents had offices in both states and was going to eventually let me take that over, want to run the car. And I was supposed to run the floor covering store they had also. Uh, on and on it was going to go. I was going to be financially squared away. 18 years old, I came to my dad and I says, I got right with God. I've seen the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. It's preached in some of the most remote places in the planet by young men and young women who gave up this world for another world. Preached to the most unlikely people. Preached in spite of the most fearsome resistance. I think in 1953, the five young men with their families moved down to Ecuador and they were going to reach the Aka Indians, which had been at this time headhunters and unreached, too, too vicious to be reached. And they would fly in and they would fly over their villages and drop them gifts. And they had done that a few times and set up a meeting with them. And so they found a place where they could land a little plane and uh, they, they landed the little plane, got out, and the Aka Indians came out and speared them to death. All five young men, leaving their five women and children as widows and orphans. Don't feel sorry for those five men. Because they laid their lives down and shed their blood, the Aka Indians got saved. Salvation ran through the Aka Indians. The very men, some of the men that killed them got born again, went around the United States giving testimony for a while, years and years ago, how they got saved because those men laid their blood. What was God's plan for them? God's plan would be, they, they were captured by this thing called the cross to the place they gave up all the potential of America, went down to that harsh place, that unforgiving place, that, that place they weren't welcome in, and said, we're going to reach these headhunters. We're going to reach these people for Christ and show them that what they're doing is wrong and is death. 
I think they had a different vision on what was going to happen and how they were going to do it than what happened. That's what it does, though. The great Roman Empire tried to stop it. And about 323 A.D. was captured by it. Rome wasn't, Rome wasn't conquered by the barbarians. Rome was conquered by Christ. The fervent Pharisees who hated Jesus and repulsed by him and repelled his teaching and thought that he was going to ruin their whole, their whole situation. The Bible says many of the Pharisees got saved after the resurrection. They were conquered by the cross. Death just fueled his flames. Martyrs line up behind the cross to die for it. Kings bow before it. Kings with power bow before it. It's just as alive today as it was when Christ came off of the cross. Here I am almost 2,000 years later at this cross, an insignificant individual with nothing going for him who died on this cross. I'm preaching about it. People all over the world today, no doubt, were preaching about the gospel and the cross. How can that be? Because God died on that cross. The Bible says, Without mystery, great is without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became flesh to understand, so spirit could understand flesh, and so flesh could understand spirit. So we could know him, and he could know us in a way that could not be accomplished any other way. Here I am, a once rebellious teenager, wanting to live for lust and pleasure. I've I give, given over to sin and selfishness, seeking nothing personally, seeking nothing really and other than the preaching of the cross. My heart's desire in life is that people would be saved and know him and go to heaven. My prayer often to God, and I hope it would be yours, that you, as many as possible could go to heaven because you lived and you preached and you passed out tracts and you stood away from wickedness and sin. You want people to go with you. I like, I like Paul when he was on that boat and they were getting ready to sink. He, he prayed for those that were with him. And he said to him, this was comfort to the sailors. He said, God has given me all those that sail with me. I like that. So I'll pray, God, give me all those who sail with me. You can pray that for your family. You can pray that for the folks you work with. You can pray that for the folks you have influence with. Preaching of the old rugged cross, preaching the redemption it represents, preaching the salvation it symbolizes, Preaching the love, it literally screams. You get captured by the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. I've seen its beauty. Have you? Have you seen the beauty of the cross? Now, that's, that's a crazy statement. That's an oxymoron. Have you seen the beauty of the cross? There's something beautiful about the cross. Have you felt his power? I've been talking to people that were seemingly uninterested about the cross and watched them all of a sudden get serious-minded, become broken, and eventually confess that they're a sinner unable to save themselves. And they want the cross in their life. And they need the cross in their life. 
in Christ. That's the supernatural power of the cross. I have drunk deeply of its freedom. Have you? The freedom of the cross. Did you know sin, every sin that you commit has a slavery aspect to it? People today talk about slavery a lot. The worst kind of slavery is the slavery to sin. The worst kind of slavery. Many of those slaves brought over from Africa were preached the gospel and were saved and are in heaven today. The ultimate reparation is that they got to hear the gospel and be saved. That if they had they stayed in Africa, they may never have heard it. But they were they were brought over and they were told about Jesus that they could be saved. And many of them, where do you think we get a lot of them old, them old uh they call them Negro spirituals? Them old songs of Zion. They may have their their bodies may have been owned by someone else, but you can't own somebody's spirit. You can't own somebody's inside. And a lot of them old boys got born from above, and mom got, and some of the greatest Christians that I've ever listened to or talked to are some of those black people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're free. The freedom of the cross. It'll take you captive by sin. I get a kick out of people that smoke. I smoked for a while, and it was the hardest thing I ever quit. I never knew addiction until I tried to quit smoking. I've told this many times. Uh, it was, it was uh, Surgeon General Coop. How many remember? Surgeon General Coop goes back a few years. He said that quitting cigarette smoking was like quitting heroin, the same degree as quitting heroin. So I could say I've quit heroin, though I never did heroin, but I did quit. I'm going to tell you, Marlboro had a grip on me. I was so bad off, I'd pick a cigarette out of the gutter if there was a little left on it pick it up and light it and smoke it. I didn't care whose lips had been on it. That was before COVID, wasn't it? Well, when I was raised, we had 110 guys on our football team, and we had one hose. You drank out of a hose. You just put that hose in your mouth. Half of them boys are black boys, half of them white boys. We didn't care what color they were. We didn't care where they had been. Just give me the water. Come drink of the water of life. Drink freely of it. It's, it's, it's offered to you today. Once you taste of the cross, you never more can be satisfied with the dregs of sin offered to you by the devil. The cheap, unsatisfying, temporary reward of sin. You've seen it. You saw Robin Williams hung himself. Some of you older people saw Jimi Hendrix at 27 dying, Janis Joplin at 27 dying, Jim Morrison at 27 dying. You've seen people like they were famous and, and wealthy and, 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 and well-liked by the world. It, whatever they were doing, one thing that came across was they weren't satisfied by it. Sin will never satisfy you. It'll leave you empty and hungry, and despondent, and despaired. Whereas the cross, the gospel, Jesus Christ, 
will fill you and fulfill you and give you peace that you cannot get from the world and passes all understanding, brother. You believe it? You have it? Amen? The cross. I invite you to come to the cross this morning. Bow down. Now you say, I'm already saved, preacher, but you may be saved, but you may not be walking in obedience to the cross. Bow down before He who died for you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the cross broken, not with an agenda. Come to the cross contrite, not with pride. Come to the cross repentant, sorry for the sins that you've done against God. Come to the cross trembling, showing the very respect of His holiness. Come to the cross with all your sins, transgressions, wickednesses, and evil. But whatever you do, come. How many here have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? Let me show a hand. Pilgrim's Progress. Many have not. If you didn't come and get anything out of what I'm saying this morning, but you, but you picked up the book Pilgrim's Progress and you read it, it was worth coming. Pilgrim's Progress is what I call a must-read book. Now, here I am. This is probably my 30th, 40th time through the last 40 years telling people, read Pilgrim's Progress. And only about 40% or so of you have read it. The other 60% of you are one hard-headed, thick-skinned, tough, elephant-hide, can't-get-through type people. But I love you. And that's why I'm telling you, again, if you never had had a ribeye steak, but you'd had some old tough piece of meat, and, and I tried to tell you to do a ribeye, you'd probably go out and get a ribeye and do it. And then you'd come back and say, Preacher, you were absolutely right. That ribeye is melting in your mouth, that granulated fat. I mean, when you put that in your mouth, it's like the end of the world, man. It's like, it's like flavor just bursts out in your mouth. Y'all hungry? 30-day aged ribeye. That's what I'm telling you. Pilgrim's Progress, buy it. Read it. I cried through that book. I laughed through that book. Same book. There will be sections I wept. I had to put it down. I wept. got a towel by myself because I don't like to cry in front of my wife as much as possible. And then there'll be times I'd just be laughing. She'd come out and say, you all right? I'm all right. What are you laughing? You going crazy? You know? Yeah, I'm crazy. And if you're going to go crazy, you better be go crazy laughing than crying for sure. But this guy by the name of Pilgrim was making his way to the celestial city. And he was, he was on the way to the celestial city. He knew he needed help from from God. And as he lived his sins, he carried his sins on, his, on a thing called a backpack. Now, most of you know a backpack. It was like a backpack. And every time he sinned, it added more weight to the backpack. And so his backpack got heavier and heavier, like, like a military 100-pound backpack, 100-pound backpack on your back. And, and the, this little chapter, this one chapter where He's, he's got this, and he's bent over with the load. 
The load of this backpack has bent him over, and he's, he's chafing under the pain of it and the weight of it. Uh, and this backpack are his sins, and that's the way it is. Sins accumulate, accumulate, and they defile you and your conscience, and they begin to weigh you down. Pretty soon, you're like Michael Jackson who can't sleep. That's what happens to people who abandon God. He takes their sleep away from them. You slept last night? You sleep good? It's a gift from God. And so they, their conscience being defiled, they don't get to sleep. And so as he's in pain, he looks up and he sees a cross on top of a hill. And he believes that that's going to help him. He, he makes his way up to the bottom of that cross and he realizes the gospel of that cross and he hugs that cross in repentance and humility and faith and trusts that cross. And when he did that, miraculously, his straps on his backpack broke and the backpack rolled off of him and rolled down the hill and dropped into hell. And for the first time in a long time, old Pilgrim was able to stand upright. The freedom when you're first saved, you all remember that? You don't remember what it was like when you first got saved, how you felt light? People have told me this. I can't tell. I don't know how many people told me this through the years, but they've told me, I felt light after I got saved. That's what happens because the load and responsibilities of those sins weighing you down. And when you get saved, God takes that away. That backpack, as it were, falls off, and you're free. Wow. Don't come to the cross with conditions. Don't come with pride. Don't come with self-righteousness. Don't come with good works. Don't come with excuses. Don't come with any blame. Don't blame anybody about anything. Don't come relying on your church membership to get you to heaven. Don't come relying on a baptism to get you to heaven. Don't come relying on some communion to get you to heaven. Don't come relying on some priest supposedly forgiving your sin to go to heaven. You come to the cross. On which the Prince of Glory died. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Do you have enough faith just to believe God's word? Then come to the cross. And he'll save you and free you. The Emancipation Proclamation is the gospel. The greatest ever. And by the way, Lincoln did that. And he didn't have a whole lot of power. But when God does emancipation proclamation, he's got the power to back it up. He'll emancipate. He will, he will emancipate. He will free you by the grace of God. I like the song that says, and I'll, I'll stop with this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, that's the world, whatever they offer, I count but loss. And just to make sure it stays there and pour contempt upon my pride. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. 
Love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Come, come one and all to the glorious cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit... If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.